It's our sixth week in our series on Romans, and here's where Paul's at in this letter. You have Jewish and Gentile Christians becoming a church together for the first time. There's a lot to navigate, both practically and theologically, about life together as a church. In particular, there are questions about what the gospel, which, as a reminder, is found up in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the gospel that God's Son is alive and is Jesus. Well, the question is, what does the gospel mean as far as the Jewish story up to this time? These get fleshed out with sub-questions like, do the Gentiles need to become Jewish in order to become covenant people? If Jewish people have shown they're part of the covenant by keeping Torah, which Paul calls the law, does that mean Gentiles should start keeping Torah too? And then we come to Abraham in chapters 3 and 4 today. Paul starts telling Abraham's story, trying to speak to this question, does his story as the forefather according to the flesh, as he puts it, mean that Jews alone are covenant people? And Paul's going to draw out his opinion that no, Abraham's story shows us that God has always been for the world through the Jews. Covenant promises and participation, then, are for anyone who trusts the gospel not just because of Jesus's recent work, but because of God's work through the whole story. Now, one reason we're spending time in Romans together is because of how the reformers' interpretation of the letter shaped so much of the U.S. church's understanding of core theological doctrine. Today's snippet of the letter is no exception. I'm going to start with uh, chapter 3, verse 31, and then chapter 4, verse 1. Here's the question that we're diving into. Paul writes, do we then nullify the law through faith? Far from it. On the contrary, we establish the law. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Now, here is the key question and how it gets framed in light of the reformers interpretation. They would say the key question is, how are people saved? Meaning, how do people get to heaven? And your answer choices are by faith or by works. And Paul says, by faith, just look at Father Abraham. But importantly, the questions facing this little community in Rome, the questions Paul's hoping to help them answer, are not questions about what rules they should follow, nor are they questions about what works earn someone a spot on the inside. They're not how are people saved questions. And that helps us better understand a reframing that more recent scholarship is advocating for and pointing us towards. It goes like this. God made a covenant with Israel and God will keep it. This covenant family enjoys the promises of God and participate in remaking a world that looks like heaven. Who can enjoy covenant promises and participation? Romans is most of all about God and about God's promises. It's helping these hundred or so folks in Rome see the promise-keeping God as the one who is making them, Jews and Gentiles alike, family. Paul especially wants to help them see that although this all feels really new, it's not that new at all. Who can enjoy covenant promises and participation? Who can be part of the covenant people? Anyone. Just look at Father Abraham. See, Abraham had faith before Torah. 
He trusted the person of Yahweh before there was a specific or contextual way to show that in a community, which is what the law is. Had faith, it's not believed the right ideas. Had faith is trusted a person. Romans 4, 16 to 17, as translated by N.T. Wright, says the promise can thereby be validated for the entire family, not simply those who are from the law, meaning those who are Jewish, but those who share the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. Just as the Bible says, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened in the presence of the God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. These verses are most immediately referring to God bringing life to Abraham and Sarah, bringing life to Jesus, and thus bringing into existence this one family of God that hadn't existed, but had always been intended. A family marked not by adherence to the law, but by trust in Yahweh God. Curtis mentioned this a bit in last week's message as well, that there's this myth that Old Testament Jewish people thought they were saved by keeping the law. And that's not the case. They saw themselves as saved by grace because of who God is. It's who they were. Paul, though, is concerned most not with how we are saved, which is by faith, but rather who can enjoy covenant promises and who is in this family of gods. Is it just Israel? It's not. It's anyone with faith like Abraham. Faith in the God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. The faith of Abraham is trusting the person of Yahweh to keep their promise of a baby, despite how impossible that seems. And as that came into existence, life from bodies so old, they're reproductively dead. What grew for all Israel was trust in a God who will not quit on the dream of a good and beautiful world and that humans get to help make it instead of having it made for them. Abraham's trust is a model for our trust in God's continued capacity and desire to give life to the dead and call into existence things that do not exist, all in service of the dream of a full creation that is in harmony with and reflective of God's character. For this new Roman church, they are seeing God bringing the Jewish people to share the faith of Abraham, a life out of death, as they are renewing covenant membership. They're seeing God bringing Gentiles to faith, a creation out of nothing. And as God gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that don't exist, the family of God is reformed, but under the same purpose, to reshape the world. So it works in alignment with who God is. For us in the church now, what we share with Abraham is who we trust, the God in whom we believe. What we share with the Roman church is who we are, a family formed by shared love for and trust in Christ Jesus. What we share with this whole story is that God is still giving life to the dead, still calling into existence things that don't exist in service of God's dream. And we still get to help make it just like Israel got to help, just like the Roman church got to help. We also share this with Abraham and Sarah, though. It seems impossible. It's a hard time to be the church. Trying to follow Jesus in the U.S. right now means being linked, at least in the minds of some, to things like the Southern Baptist Convention's cover-up of abuse, 
to raging debates about public policy, to a faith that is expressed far too much in the comments section of social media and far too little in the day-to-day lives we live. There's an understandable desire to then trumpet, I'm not like that, standing against the growing caricature of evangelical by living in reaction to it. But I can't help but wonder if that's joyful or sustainable, if that supports the words we hear as Jesus invites us to come weary and burdened for rest, to take yokes of Jesus's own making upon ourselves and learn from him. I don't know if that's going to help us find rest in our innermost being. But I'll admit that I'm discouraged. It's hard to be part of the church right now. Personally, I've found it most discouraging the past five years or so, how hard it is to feel like you can find others who also wonder, how does it look for us to keep following Jesus together, here, now? And still, I think it's a great time to be part of the church. And I think both have probably always been the case. On the one hand, there have been oppressive regimes and persecution, but there's also been the church saving infants from exposure and founding hospitals, schools, the first welfare system in Europe. There's complicity with the evil of enslavement, the warping of scripture to perpetuate suffering. But also, as historian Glenn Sunshine reminds us, Christians were the first people in history to oppose slavery systematically. Early Christians purchased slaves in the market simply to set them free. Later in the 7th century, the Franks, under the influence of its Christian queen, Bethilde, became the first kingdom in history to begin the process of outlawing slavery. In the 1200s, Thomas Aquinas declared slavery a sin. When the African slave train began in the 1400s, it was condemned numerous times by the papacy. Fast forward to Charles Malik, a Lebanese academic, diplomat, philosopher, and theologian who was responsible for the drafting and adoption of the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Or rewind to as recently as a couple weeks ago when here in Pomona, one of our local nonprofits took the day to bless a house they were able to purchase through a grant. A house that will be able to provide a transitional experience for women and their children if they have them, especially if they're moving out of incarceration and back towards something stable. We got to tour and it's beautiful. We got to pray for that space. It has always been true that there's both. And it's hard to know that there always has been and will be both. People using pseudo-Christianity in deeply unjust, harmful, and evil ways. And people following Jesus into the world together. There will always be groups of Christians deeply convicted that God's hopes and this gospel, it's not about me. Not individualistic. It's for the world. And yet, it's deeply personal. A personal invitation to represent God's character in the world. A personal honor to attend to the needs of others. A personal joy to sacrifice some of what's mine for you. God is still giving life to the dead and calling into existence things that do not exist which means radical reimagination is made possible for us in the Christ family. That's Abraham's faith. This God can and will do that. Make a world that really is different, more whole, even though it seems impossible. And so we simply ask, how can I help? Comedian 
Kath Barbadoro tweeted not long ago, it's pretty funny that the world's ending and we all just keep going on to our little jobs. LOL. They capture that sense that all seems impossible. And sometimes I feel like the institutional church has doled out little jobs, tasks that keep the institution humming while the world is ending around us. The key question, how can I help? It can be answered in two very different ways. One is little jobs. At Willow, whenever this kind of question came up, the assumption was always that the answer will be found at 67 East Algonquin Road. A little job to keep that place going. But there is a different way to answer, how can I help? A way that gets sparked when we begin with the metaphor of family. Paul is reminding the Roman church that anyone can join the family. And the family is and always has been for the sake of the world. The world who needs us to prayerfully ask, how can I help? Now maybe we think that if we ask, how can I help to God, God will answer us like the megachurch. Assign us a little job. A job we'll have to do because God told us. What if instead we expect God to say, let's dream about that together. Yes, I do think at times God will just ask us to help in certain ways and we'll do it because of love. But I do think we need more dreaming with God about the ways we can offer hope and joy and life in the midst of the world that's ending all around us. We create resurrection-shaped spaces for others to step into and join the family. Toni Morrison reminds us, your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. And so we ask God, how can I help? And we listen. We mentioned last week that our response time for the next several weeks will be devoted to helping us check in on our own rhythm of life. And rhythm of life is simply a blanket phrase to capture the habits and practices. They'll happen at various frequencies, daily, monthly, sometimes just a couple times a year. But they're the habits and practices that help us live our regular lives anchored in the love of God and participating with God in the restoration of the world. Last week, we began by looking a bit at where we are right now. We answered the prompts, what am I loving right now? And what am I hating right now? Today, we will consider the participation element of our life. God is still giving life to the dead, still calling into existence things that do not exist, in service of the dream of a full creation in harmony with and reflective of God's own character. And so, here are three questions for us. In the spirit of prayerful imagining. First, let's reflect on what's true currently. So how would you answer In what ways is my faith bringing life to the world? Not how you think it should. Not some grand plan for how you will, maybe, someday. But trust that this is happening in ways big and small, near and far, and it all counts. In what ways is my faith bringing life to the world? Second, We'll continue with prayerful imagining by coming to God asking, how can I help? The prayer can be as simple as, I want my faith to bring life to the world. How can I help? Has God been stirring anything in you about your neighbors, coworkers, family, friends, the world recently? 
Is there a wrong you are eager to see movement on? A community you're deeply concerned for? A neighbor that you see gardening or walking around the block? Even if you aren't sure what to do or say about any of that yet, just note who or what it is. Consider as well that perhaps your imagination for this question, how can I help, has been limited for some reason. And if so, what are those reasons? Receive God's compassion for the reality that a faith that brings life to the world can seem impossible at times. And then try again to dream a little bit together with God today. If you're a note taker, you might find it's helpful to take notes on those questions. If you're a distracted person, perhaps you might find that setting a timer for three or five minutes can help you open up the question and not worry too much if your mind wanders along the way because you're just going to give it a little time. But again, the two questions as we sign off for today. In what ways is my faith bringing life to the world? And then the prayer, I want my faith to do just that, God, so... How can I help? May you be inspired with prayerful imagination, noticing the triune God with you and for you as you do. Amen.